people become too quickly conditioned by their existence and don't necessarily look to try and have that sort of breakout thinking. I look at that in organisations that I you know, respond to, but I also look at it in my own organisation. How do I get just enough of the organisation thinking that way to unlock its potential? And then it always comes back as it always does to people. Hi, I'm Belded Mankus. Welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. The podcast that shifts the conversation about purpose and strategy from what organizations should do to what business leaders are doing and what they've learned along the way. In this episode, I'll be joined by Steve Lewis, CEO of ProGlobal, a provider of specialist solutions and services to the insurance industry, whose purpose is to help their clients win. Steve describes how ProGlobal created strategic agility through focus, enabling them to pivot to a different level of sustainable growth. He also shares how he uses rigorous analysis and a test-and-learn mindset to balance risk and reward as they reshape their portfolio of offerings. Steve, welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. Uh, you're the chief executive officer of ProGlobal. Um, could you tell us a bit about ProGlobal and also a little bit about yourself and kind of how you see your role there? Yeah, happy to do so, um, Belden, and good to be here. So maybe introduce myself. So I'm actually an accountant by training a long time ago, and I spent nearly, almost nearly 35 years now working in the insurance industry. Had a whole range of roles in the UK. I've had the opportunity to work internationally. I spent nearly 10 years out of the country. So I was three years in Australia working across Asia, spent seven years in Switzerland working globally. And in terms of prior to taking on the current role, I spent the last decade running two of the larger insurance divisions in the UK. Uh, so I spent five years running Zurich's PNC business, and then I spent almost another five years running Royal Sun Alliance's UK and international division. And as you rightly said, I took over Pro Global about two years ago, so just pre-pandemic. And Pro Global has been around about 30 years, and it provides a range of what I call insurance solutions and third-party access services to the insurance industry, largely centered around what I call complex commercial risk and with a significant focus on the London market. So Lloyds of London, London market carriers, insurance brokers, but we've also got an international presence in Germany, LATAM and the US. And in terms of what we provide, um, we provide a range of services, as I said, that cover everything from premium processing and binding all the way through to insurance accounting, technical accounting, fight claims. We also have an audit and advisory practice. We have an MGA incubator, so they, it's a basically a business that sets up new underwriters in their own entity. And then lastly, we have a consultative practice that helps our clients basically transform and enable their insurance operations. So that's sort of pro-global in a nutshell specialist solutions and services providers to the insurance industry. Hmm. That that word specialist, I suspect, is is a key part of all of that. And we may sort of come back and explore some of that. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about purpose. We're going to talk a bit about strategy. Before we sort of get into that, if you think about an organization's purpose, how do you define it? You know, before you get to your specific purpose, how's it different from mission, vision, all those other words? I suppose I look at purpose 
as almost sort of guide rails that determine why is the organization here and what are we there to do? And for me, that purpose should instill within the organization, as the word says, really, a sense of purpose in terms of what we are on the planet to do. And it should actually provide a set of rules and guide us in how we go about life on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. So for Pro Global, what is that purpose? In many respects, it's quite simplistic, at least in the way we framed it. And, you know, as I explained, we provide solutions and sort of third-party services. So we are very much an extension of our clients. And therefore, our purpose ultimately is to enable our clients to win. We're only successful if ultimately what we offer to our clients enable them to be successful. So we very much have centered our purpose on enabling our clients to win. It's a very much sort of, and we've tagged that with a sort of supporting statement like focus fuels success. And the why of that is a little bit of a recognition to one of the core ingredients that I believe fuels success of any business, which is focus. And at the same time is equally relevant in the context of our purpose in how we fulfill and deliver to our clients. It's that sort of old age adage of you can't be, you know, all things to all people. And it's how you deliver a set of focused, differentiating capabilities that enable your clients to ultimately win and succeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a huge focus on climate change and net zero. Given all of that, does an organization's purpose have to relate to that for it to be successful today? Or is it mm, horses for courses? It matters to some people. I think it should matter to all of us. I'm not sure necessarily it has to be defined in the absolute purpose of the company, depending on what company you run. So if I was running a green energy company, I might say that I'd probably want it somewhere pretty centric to the purpose of the organization. In the context of pro, I don't think it has to be up in lights in the context of, you know, we're, we're only here for the purpose of achieving net zero. I don't think that is our purpose. But all organizations have to recognize that they fit in a larger ecosystem. We all have a broad range of stakeholder groups, and it's not just about shareholders, and it's not just about employees, and it's not just about our customers, but it is also about the communities in which we live and breathe and the role that we have to play. And so it has to be part of the values by which we run the organization. But I don't think it has to be up in lights as in the purpose itself, but it is part of running a good orderly organization. The only other final point, which is quite relevant to us, is again, back to that piece that we are an extension of our clients. If you like, as a consequence of that, the bar that's set for us is also a reflection of being an extension of our clients and where they set their policy and their strategy, we have to be reflective of. And so, you know, that's another lens um, on the topic. Mm. That sounds like it could leave you with a very sort of complex environment of your own. Uh, To a degree, although I think you can still then bring it back to the thematic of your sector. And when you're dealing and you're an extension of large corporates, generally, like the tide, it rises. And as the bar rises, everybody sets context against that. And I think it's about what it means to run a good business and being reflective of where that sort of tide mark is and being commensurate to it. If your business is a green energy company, you may have to set your bar slightly higher But I think it's having 
a reflection to, but at the same time, I think you can overcomplicate this. So that purpose, I mean, at one level, it sort of seems self-evident, but how did you go about either identifying it or creating it, discovering it? How did that come about? I suppose purpose and strategy are somewhat interrelated. For me, I've had the opportunity to develop strategy in a number of different settings. I've had the opportunity to operate at the top of, you know, a global group like Zurich and work with the board on strategy and how they went about it. I've had the opportunity to work in a division and set it as a CEO myself, and I've done it in all different guises. And generally where I've had the opportunity to lead it, and even where I've done it as a group, it's tended to be a collaborative exercise, one where you tend to bring a small group together, you iterate strategy reflecting on the past and and the future and you take checkpoints along the way as you evolve it that isn't what i did for pro global so that's interesting what led you to throw away a career's worth of experience and do it differently in how i came to sit in the seat more than anything else and that is that before i actually agreeing to take the role in terms of leading pro global i agreed to do a 10-day consultative piece of work for the current owners where they commissioned me to come in and take a fresh look at the business, you know, lift the colours and really give them my own perspective on where did the business stand and, you know, what was the opportunity to actually enable the business in a different way and set course for the next two to three years. As a consequence of that 10-day consulting exercise, now the normal consultative piece is then you walk away um, and leave someone else to implement it. Uh, On this occasion, I accepted the challenge of taking on the leadership of the business. So I've sort of made my bed and I'm lying in it. So in large part, there's been self-developed, you know, a few checkpoints along the way, although drawing on all of that experience of the career to date. And, you know, fundamentally, whilst um, over the last couple of years, you naturally refine, evolve, etc., you know, the strategy that we're following is largely that that I set out in the first instance. And if you could describe it fairly simply, what what is that strategy? Uh, I suppose I look at this in terms of of, of the outcome, to partly input and output. So Pro, as I said, has been a business that's been around for about 30 years. It's got some really deep relationships, got a lot of practitioners, a lot of um, capability. But over the last you know two or three years, it's stagnated and has been running somewhat hard to stand still. And so the strategy at one level is to pivot the organization to a different level of sustainable growth and profit to therefore professionalize the business to enable it to achieve that pivot. That is what we're looking to achieve over the next two to three years. And against that backdrop is a recognition that it's a business that in large part is what I call a trusted provider very much trusted to help an organization fix its problems of today. But to be relevant on a forward basis, it needs to evolve to be much more a trusted advisor, not just here to fix today's problems, but be part of, if you like, the solutioning enablement of allowing our clients to win in the market of tomorrow. And so the journey we're on, putting that sort of client value proposition at the center, they win, we win, is about moving beyond just the ability to fix today, but what are the characteristics that allows us to enable a client to win tomorrow? And how do we, over the next two to three years, shift from being that trusted provider to being that trusted advisor, gain, as a consequence, broader market access, and through which start to create 
a broader range of opportunities against which we can ultimately grow and sustain improved returns. Be interested in in your thoughts on the interplay in developing strategy between analysis, intuition, and maybe even inspiration. How do all those three play in, or don't they? Well, I think they all have a role to play to a degree. It's a combination of analysis, it's a combination of understanding, it's a combination of everything you've learned, and it's, you know, in part, intuition and a preparedness to take some level of risk. Um, it's the old story, isn't it? No risk, no reward. You know, and then the question is, how many bets can you afford to make relative to the bedrock of the business and where it sits at a point in time? And that's a balance act to journal. So for me, this is about professionalizing, firming up the foundations and almost earning the right, and yet also recognizing that there are one or two bets to be placed that hopefully pay back over time. It's unlikely in life that all your bets come good. So it's, it's getting that balance right. And I think one of the interesting things for myself personally, um, moving from what I call the big corporate, you know, um, 7,000 people, multi-territory, bigger checkbooks and all the other good stuff to a smaller enterprise that we're looking to scale is how to take all the good things from the big corporate kit bag, but how do you keep the entrepreneurial fleet of foot maybe a little bit more at the risk frontier and balance load that so you stay more agile fleet of foot and get certain things done that otherwise you might have actually squashed. All right? and, and I'm still learning a little bit of that. But some of the things that we have initiated here facing out to some big corporate clients has demonstrated our agility to deliver things that otherwise they have failed to deliver in 18 months that we've stood up in six weeks. Were they with a little bit more risk than I may have done previously? Yes, but consciously taken. So, you know, back to your question, I, I think it's a mixture of all of those facets of intuition, good analysis, good experience. Uh, time will tell whether the cake's worth eating. I'm sure it will be. <laughs> as you've gone through that process, as you said, you sort of started with this 10-day consulting activity that led into, uh, this is what I think the strategy is. When did this purpose, and particularly this idea of, you know, sort of focus fuels success, where and how did that crystallize in large part it's experiential um what i've learned over the last 20 or 30 years it's what i've seen in terms of you know one of the key ingredients of success i ran two large insurance divisions right, and they were full composite insurers doing everything from personal lines so your dog your cat your home your house car etc all the way through small business insurances all the way through to the mid-market, larger corporates, all the way to actual big-ticket global corporates. And what I actually found was that I'm running, you know, an organization that in large part then faces off to monoline insurers who only focus on one component of that. And what you do as a composite is have to make trade-offs every day because you can't solve for everything and you're trying to compete against the best in market. You see where the super profits are made. And there is an intrinsic linkage between, for me, that focus and where you become too disparately spread. And that's sort of a learned experience. And therefore, when I did the consultative exercise, I started to evaluate the breadth and spread of what the organization I'm now running was attempting to do and ultimately not getting full bang for bucks. And for me, trying to do less better and get more from less is where 
the opportunity for turbocharging the organization life. Now, is it the only ingredient? No, it's one of a number, but it's from that 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 aspect of focus fuel success was distilled because through the diagnostic evaluation, it was quite clear that the organization wasn't sufficiently focused. And for at least this next phase of its journey, focusing the organization will be a critical enabler for pro, as well as being highly relevant for what I think is a characteristic of winning businesses generally. And so it was a helpful guide as a tagline to what I'm wanting to achieve over the next two to three years. I think you then couple that with the client-centric focus that says, and we've only got really a reason or a right to exist as a provider of services or solutions to our clients if our clients value what we do. So by putting the client at the heart and then creating just a few simple questions that ask things of our organization, simple questions like, you know, is what we do for our clients valued? Is it adding value to them? Can we codify that in terms of where there's clear value perceived by a client, is it bespoke to one client or there are there multiple clients with the same need? So this is something that is capable to be repeatable and scalable. Right? And against those that are repeatable and scalable, could we amplify the offering by building out capabilities in the adjacencies? And the question that then comes with that is, does it make it stickier for us as a business and is it more sustainable and repeatable? And if the answer to that is yes, should we build it or should we source it? And that comes back to the interlinkage with focus fuel success because it applies to us. So is it adjacent enough that we should build it out or is it slightly further apart but is compelling in our offering that there's someone out there who it's their focus and we're better to partner in it? You know, it's just a building block of a simple set of questions that link value to client and focus fuel success that starts to orientate how do we get to more from less and then earn the right to expand. So as you've been through this process, what surprised you most? It depends from which angle you look at it. I almost look at business as almost a problem to be solved. In many respects, over 30-odd years, you just fill in your kit bag with you know, problem-solving capabilities. <laughs> Do you actually evaluate what you've got through a diagnostic and evaluate what's in your kit bag against which you can actually improve the fundamentals of the business? As I, I look at the market that I'm now facing into, it always still surprises me that there are many global organizations and few that operate globally. And the thing that still surprises me, I mean, even as a small organization, we clearly outreach and support some quite significant organizations, some to the very global, many internationally situated. And yet it still surprises me how disjointed organizations are and how still ineffective they are in the marshalling of their capabilities to operate. And, and there's always a trade-off in that between a distributed organization and a central organization. You know, I'm not saying that in the context of one model or another is right or wrong, but just generically, I just find that organizations are not as efficiently and effectively operated as what you might aspire for. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I assume you've done things at Pro Global to address that. It sounds maybe like that's even part of what you provide to your clients as being just a little bit better at that than maybe they are. Again, this is the, the challenge, isn't it? Our organization provides a set of focused enablers to allow our clients to win. We don't necessarily solve for the totality of their business. But the frustration that I often find at times, Belden, is that people often rationalize away where they sit today or why something's not possible. I'd rather start with almost defining what utopian is and then at least make a conscious choice as why you might not be able to get there, but you've at least considered it, than actually not have done that thinking and have already conditioned yourself as to why it's not possible. And, And so for me, it's this desire to follow logic and threads to get to a defined solution and then test the logic of whether it's feasible to achieve. You know, for me, that is a feature that continuously I come up against, that people become too quickly conditioned by their existence and don't necessarily look to try and have that sort of breakout thinking. I look at that in organisations that I, you know, respond to, but I also look at it in my own organisation. How do I get just enough of the organisation thinking that way to unlock its potential? And then it always comes back, as it always does, to people. It's always about people, it's always about capability, it's always about how you connect the dots. The one area that, if there's a learning, I'm still learning, is uh, I spent 30 plus years on the carrier side, you know, so the balance sheet side in the provision of insurance and the and the management of risk. And I'm now running fundamentally a solutions and services business. And I'm, you know, coming to learn that the client's always right. So that is a personal journey. Like I know this industry pretty well. We're always learning every day. There's always something new to learn. But it's quite a shift, a shift from 35 years being on that insurer carrier side to generally being a service provider. And I think that's even more so when you're a service provider into the industry you think you know well. Yeah, yeah. If you had any advice, and you may have already sort of touched on some of it in some of the other comments you made, but if you had any advice for other business leaders who are wrestling with these questions of strategy and purpose, what advice would you have? I think it's about, to some degree, having, in the very first instance, a structured process to diagnose where you stand and really evaluate what is it that your business is there to do and for whom. And for me, it's through that formal diagnosis that you can evaluate ultimately purpose and purpose should guide then what you need to do to actually evolve your business. And I think that's both having a reflection to today's reality, but having some sense of how it may change, at least in what I think is largely definable over the next three, five seven years you can go too far out and and it's too far away to be you know make it realistic so for me it is about just a stand back diagnostic of the organization and trying to clarify to whom do you respond what are you providing is it a service is a product is it to a end customer is it a b2b client and what therefore is it that makes you successful. It is just quite a structured assessment. And then I think it's who do you need to put around you to give you a sufficient set of different perspectives and inputs against that diagnostic? Because it's always about trying to achieve the crosshair. 
about asking the question from different dimensions and you get still to the same concrete outcome. So for me, it is about diagnostic and the right individuals assisting in the diagnostic checks and balance to actually define outcome and the actions you need to drive. And then I think for me, it's about being prepared to also test as you go and don't set the strategy and just sort of follow it off the cliff. Being prepared to go, actually, it hasn't quite turned out as I envisage. I need to change that and adjust that. So, you know, for me, it's just testing the validity that the strategic framework still holds as you move forward. It has to be somewhat iterative. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that very sort of, I'll use the word deep analysis, but then not to kind of believe everything you've analyzed. It's that piece around what's going to ensure that you survive economically in the near term and what can you afford by way of bets that give you a bit of the sort of magic source that propels you for the future. And it's trying to get that balance right as well. Yeah, great. Steve, it's been a pleasure having you. I, I really like particularly that sort of combination of balancing the clarity about, if if I might describe it, the situation you're in and thinking deeply about what's your identity, but then also that sort of test and learn your way into the future. You know, keep checking that your assumptions are right. We're still definitely doing that. Currently, direction of travel is um, positive, but I'm sure we'll be continuing to adjust as we go. Thank you for joining us. Cheers, pal. Thanks a lot. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Purposeful Strategist. Please email any questions or suggestions to belden at mancus.com. In addition to being available on our website, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed this episode, we release a new episode weekly. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks again, and join us soon for the next episode of The Purposeful Strategist.